Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always, plenty of entertainment. I hope you had a lovely Christmas and New Year. And even though we are already halfway into the first month of the year, it feels like Christmas was an age ago. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Did you set any? What goals did you set yourself for the year ahead? I kickstarted the year with a New Year's Day 5K, the resolution run hosted by Galway City Harriers, and surprisingly, I enjoyed it. The post-race analysis over coffee and cake took three times longer than the run itself, but sure, isn't that all part of the process and the fun of racing? As mentioned in the last episode of the podcast, my big racing goal for the year is to complete, yes, complete Ironman 70.3 Majorca in May. The last time I did this race was 2017, so I reckon it's about time I got back into the swing of things and back into the swing of the try life. As I'm on a bit of a break from the microphone for a few weeks, I'm trying to simply get into a routine this month and get some form of training done on five out of the seven days of the week with consistency, the word of the month. There's lots of zone two training happening these days. I'm hoping the winter miles will result in summer smiles come race day on May 11th in Alcudia. I'll be heading to Lanzarote at the end of March for a training camp with Oliver Harkin. So the first goal is to be fit enough to enjoy all the fabulous cycling routes up the relentless hills against the mad wind on the island. I've been embracing many of the Galway Triathlon Club activities over the past few weeks now that I'm at home for a little bit. The group training making the sessions much easier to turn up to even on the coldest of days and nights. Having the accountability of turning up to a group session is a big bonus to being part of a club. The social aspect is as important as the training itself and there are lots of positive reasons to joining a club. If you are on the fence about taking the plunge into joining a club this year, check out our insight on the website under the Performance Hub tab to find out why we think joining a club could be the best decision you make for your triathlon journey this year. And keep an eye out for your local tri-clubs, new to try events that are taking place all over the country in the coming weeks. Speaking of racing and goals for 2024, we have a number of races listed on the website now as well. So pop on and have a browse through the list. It's always being updated, so check in regularly. And if you are a race director, be sure to get in touch so we can list your event on the site. Before we dive into this uh, first episode of 2024, some quick notes of interest. Our weekly Zwift spin with Oliver Harkin of Park Try and RWB Ireland continues every Monday night, rolling out at 7.05pm GMT for an hour of chat and cycling. The late join is always enabled, so you can join up to 7.35. It's a great way to kickstart the week and it's a very social spin. There's no racing, so you don't need to be speedy to join us. Find us on the companion app or drop me a message and I will send you the link. As always, don't forget about our fabulous discount with Nuasan. If you haven't checked them out yet, go to www.nuasan.com to see their range of products and use the code TTS15 to get 15% discount online. I am going through the Nuasan CBD Muscle Gel like it is going out of stock. I simply love it. Huge thanks to everyone who partnered with us, providing prizes for the Christmas Cracker social promotions and the Fit for Christmas challenge in December. You can check out the list of winners and partners on the Try Talking Sport website. We'll have a few more social giveaways in the coming weeks, so stay tuned to our Facebook and Instagram accounts. Now to this month's guest, Eklin O'Reilly, who joined me for a chat just a couple of weeks after setting a new Irish Ironman record in a time of 7 hours, 59 minutes and 4 seconds, breaking that elusive 8-hour Ironman mark, finishing in 6th place at Ironman Western Australia in Busselton in early December. The Mayo native, who moved to Perth just seven weeks before his Ironman race, has been involved in the sport of triathlon on and off since he was a teenager. With his committed return to the sport and his professional licence secured, he is now dedicated to keeping his passion for triathlon ignited and delivering performances in the sport to the best of his ability on the international stage. No stranger to success in the sport of triathlon, the 2022 National Long Distance Champion has a trophy cabinet full of silverware with multiple podiums from his seasons of racing from 2017 to 2018 and indeed across 2021. In 2016, he represented Ireland at European Cup level and prior to that, he represented Ireland at Junior European Cup level in both 2013 and 2014. An accomplished cyclist, some of his notable cycling results include winner of the 2021 edition, the Wild Mayo 300k Ultra and back in 2017, he was the overall Ross Mayo winner. 
A graduate of the University of Limerick with a degree in sport and exercise science, his interest in sport goes deeper than just his own performance in triathlon. In this episode, we jump right into Eklund's record-setting race, getting insight into both his training in the lead-up to race day and, of course, race day itself. With his eyes set on racing on the world stage in 2024, we look forward to seeing how his season unfolds over the coming weeks and months. And if anyone is interested in financially supporting his journey in triathlon, please do get in touch with Eklund directly. For now, though, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Ethan O'Reilly, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast all the way from Perth in Australia. It looks like it's an absolutely smashing day over there. It is misty, rainy and wild in the west of Ireland here. So the first question I have for you is, are you missing home? Somewhat, I suppose I am, yeah. But when I hear that it's raining and windy back home, then that sort of makes me feel a bit better about everything. Yeah, it's great here, I have to say. Yeah, I'm loving it over here. Yeah, it's a good place to be. So the first question I really want to ask you is, the pronunciation of your name catches everybody. And as a race announcer, it's really important that I get people's names right. So I know I got it right at the start because we had a discussion about this, but talk to me about your name, where it came from and how you pronounce it correctly. The way I pronounce it is Eklund, and that's based off my dad's pronunciation. So my mom found a name in a book she was reading and she decided that, oh, that's a lovely name. But she asked my dad, because he's Irish, she's English, and she asked him, how do you pronounce this? And so he came up with Eklund. And that's just what we've used ever since. And yeah, I guess all sorts of bad things. So long as people put hard CH, so as long as someone says Eklund or Atlin or something, I'm happy. It's if someone starts calling me Atlin or something, that's, that's when they get a bit upset or offended. <laughs> do you pull people up on it if they don't get the hard CH? Yeah. Totally, yeah. If they don't get a hard CH, I'm like, actually, it's Eklund. But if someone calls me Eklund or Acklin, I sometimes leave it. It depends. If I'm going to be meeting them again, I'd pull them up if it's a once-off. I'm just like, ah, yeah, it's not worth it. One person ever that I don't know has got it right on the first time, just reading it out loud. And that was somebody in when I was in college in UL. He's just reading the role and he, he's the only person who's ever pronounced it as Eklund. Okay, so moving on, you have officially moved to Australia. You're about two weeks post Ironman Western Australia, where you set a phenomenally fast time for Ironman, which we will talk about very shortly. But how's life in Australia generally? Are you loving it so far? Yeah, it's good. Getting settled in, I suppose. I've been here for two months now and... The first seven weeks leading up to the race was very sort of just singular focused on training. There was no, I didn't do anything. Like I didn't go to see anything, didn't do any touristy things, didn't go out for dinner. I think I went out for dinner once. Didn't go out for drinks at all. So it was very singular focused on just training. And now, and then even now, I suppose it's, I had a week off after the race, but now I've started back working straight away because I basically ran out of all my money. <laughs> so I did a 50-hour work week last week already. So it's, yeah, so I haven't actually seen much of where I'm living, but for the most part, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing city. It's so sporty. So, so I go cycling. You have to get up early over here because it's so hot. So we'd go cycling, say, on a Saturday morning at half five. And you meet thousands of people out on the bike, literally thousands of people, all all sorts of abilities from people doing 20k on a hybrid bike to the World Tour Pros back for Christmas doing what's their 200k rides on their top of the range bikes. There and yeah, you just meet everyone out on the bike path. And then all swimming pools are full every single morning, eight to ten lane outdoor fifty meter pools. That's yeah, training, like sport and the lifestyle out here is just amazing. You can understand why the Aussies are so good at sport when you move here and see what they're doing. Like you go to the beach and uh, they went to the beach last Sunday and they had the kids doing surf life saving. 
at the age of six or seven, all of them just running in, going through the breaking waves, swimming out past the breaking waves, sculling water for a minute or two and then swimming back in and just doing that time and time again. And they're all like under 10 years old. And you can you can fully understand why they excel in every single aspect of sport, really. Well, you mentioned there you were a couple of weeks post Ironman uh, Western Australia. You worked a 50-hour week last week. Are you back window cleaning? I am, yeah. So I started a sort of business that do mo- a lot of the high-rise buildings over here. And the main reason I started with them is it's decent pay. And I knew I'd walk into the job because I've done it so much back home. And yeah, I knew I, knew I needed a job that would start as soon as possible after the race because... I didn't have that much savings and it's an expensive country to live in, basically Australia is. <laughs> so yeah, I started that. I'd ideally find another job in the new year, something that's a bit less physical because I'd come home and I'm wrecked after a day's work, especially in the heat. Like we are hitting 35 degrees last week, so if you're out in that heat and working at the same time, it's a bit draining. Ideally, I find something that's in a nice air conditioned inside an air conditioning for after Christmas. Are you still on a high from your great race just a couple of weeks ago? Somewhat, I suppose. I get still get a little like few butterflies every now and then, but for the most part, I think with that once I started back to work, it was a bit of a sort of brought me back down to earth and back to reality almost a bit. It was a nice two-month break thinking I was a fully professional athlete and it's made me want to relive that again and made me want to pursue that even more but for the moment now I'm back just doing the old grind of working and trying to fit in a bit of training at the same time. So before we talk about the race itself Eklund why don't you bring us through maybe some of your background in the sport and how you've ended up at this point now in your sporting career. You started swimming when you were like eight years of age and then kind of took up trats on around 15 or 16, was it? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, so I can give it longer to short story. Cause, yeah, so I started swimming when I was eight and I was I was a very competitive kid, but I wasn't very coordinated. So I wasn't good at the other traditional sports that you play back in Ireland, like football, soccer. Hurling, rugby, I gave them all a go, was useless at them, completely useless at them. So then when I started swimming, I was like actually able to swim and be somewhat competitive. And that's what got me hooked originally, I think. And then just the feeling of being in the water is when you feel good in the water, it's a special feeling, really like it's hard to describe, but you feel weightless is probably the best way to describe it. And yeah, so I swam from eight to about 15, 16. And then around that age, I suppose, as you do, I got a bit, started getting a bit fed up with it. I was the oldest in the swimming club by at least two years, I think. I think I when I was 15, even 14, I think the next oldest was, no, 15, yeah, because they had Khan up until I was 15. And then Khan moved to Hasselberg. And then I was the oldest in the club by two years. And then that was sort of like a bit demoralizing. And Con, Con was doing triathlon as well, obviously, at that point. I think most people know who Van Doherty is when I say Con. But yeah, so Con was doing triathlon at that point. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Let's give that a go. And so, yeah, I just started. I did one triathlon when I was 15, did two when I was 16. And then I attended the. Triathlon Island Talent ID Day. I think that's still going now. It's I think it's a great it's a great event. They stopped it for a few years, but they brought it back now. And it's they basically try to get people from either a swimming or running background, and you do a time trial in. I think it's a only a two hundred meter swim and a fifteen hundred meter run, and they give you points based on your time, and then based on your points, you can either get, get under high performance squad. They do now have a development squad as well, or they are, and they also have regional squads. And based on how many points you can get, you get different levels of support. And then, and yeah, I was lucky enough when I did it, I got under 
I got enough points. I was on full high performance squad, so I immediately started getting coached by Elena Maslova, who was the junior high performance coach at the time. And I'd basically done no structured bike or run training. I'd only ever swam, and then I'd done a little bit of running and a little bit of cycling, but I hadn't done any structured training. My run training used to be just, I had a six and a half K loop outside my house and I'd put on my runners. We lived on top of a hill, so I'd always be down a hill stairs and I'd just peg it as fast as I could down the hill and just keep it up for the full six and a half K. And I think back now, if I tried to do that now, I'd be broken within 200 meters. I'd pull up with like all sorts of injuries. <laughs> when you're that age, it's amazing what your body is capable of doing. And yeah, so then just started doing triathlon and it almost fell into it by accident. Like I went into the ID day with no real expectations. I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted to get on the squad, obviously, but I didn't know what standard was like. Started getting coaching and from there, just three years as a junior getting coached. Did a couple of junior European Cup races racing at ITU, so draft legal. Did the European Junior Champs. That was a disastrous race. It was the week after leaving Cirque. And I'd got knocked off my bike by a tractor like the day before I flew out and had a bit of a shoulder issue. But yeah, that was, they're all great experiences. I raced in like Switzerland, raced in Austria, raced in Spain, I think, raced in Holland. And yeah, from then on, went to college, went to UL. And kept training when went to UL. Lynn Alda was our coach. And again, she's an amazing coach. In Limerick, we had such a great group, I thought. That's what I remember from my time in Limerick. I didn't get that many good results. But I loved training because we were a group of friends basically training together. So it was, I'm going to leave people out, but like there was me, Darren Dunn, Kandachi, Karen Jackson were like, we all lived together for a year, so they're sort of like main group I remember. And then I had other friends like Jack and Niall. So that, yeah, it was just it was good time training, but unfortunately didn't get many results there. So then it's getting long winded, I know, but it's okay, keep going. It's interesting. Then after so yeah, I did a few half Ironmans when I was in third year in UL and I really enjoyed them. I found I found it was much better at the non-drafting format because it was cycling was probably my strongest. Gym cycling was my strongest, where the running was my weakest. So if I was doing draft legal, I'd always I never have to run to finish off a good race where when non-drafting I could get a bit of a gap on the stronger runners and swim bike. And I had some decent results in the 70 point trees. But looking back now, they're only decent. At the time, it's like, this this class finding amazing. But yeah, like now I realize I was still a long, long way off what standard was. But then again, 2018 was my final year college. And I can't even remember what I did. I think what happened in 2018. And yeah, I had a really, really good May, June. So I did, I was in great shape in may and june and did i think it did like lap Coutre, which i won then it did try which i won i think it did westport which i won did Kilkey, which i won and then i did the olympic distance national champs in wicklow and that was like a freakishly hot day 35 degrees i think we started at one o'clock in the afternoon in the broad heat of the day and I ended up getting like heat stroke, sun stroke, all that sort of stuff. And I finished the race, don't remember like the last 6K of the run. I seen my dad was up there. I don't remember even seeing my dad on the sidelines. He drove up the morning of the race and he was cheering me on. He has a video of me and I have no recollection of seeing him. I no recollection of crossing the line. And then after I crossed the line, I clapped and... Yeah, I, it wasn't in a great way and it took, I had to take a full month off training then. So that's all I set back. And I was in unreal, I got in the best shape I've ever been in. 
going into that and then that just completely derailed my season and then I did a few more races towards the end of 2018 but I'd almost gotten a bit fed up with training so then I just went to New Zealand I packed it all in and moved to New Zealand with my mates (laughs) and yeah then had just like a year and a half or so in New Zealand just living living life I suppose doing everything I couldn't do when I was training in college just going out having a good time just working a few casual jobs started get me a bit of money climb quite a lot of mountains saw quite a bit of the country and yeah New Zealand is an amazing country if you like the outdoors New Zealand is probably one of the best countries you can possibly go to it has everything it's nice weather but not too hot it's got forests it's got mountains it's got beaches, it's got absolutely everything you could want. But yeah, I love my time in New Zealand. But I always wanted to come back to triathlon. So I was still doing a little bit of training. Like I was, still, I was mainly running, but I was running like maybe 3 by 8 k a week sort of thing. So I was staying, so I was staying somewhat fit, but not fit for the level I wanted to compete at, I'd say, I suppose. And then I actually planned to move from New Zealand to Adelaide in March 2020 and I'd found a training squad I was going to join in Adelaide and that was sort of like a high performance training squad and so I went to Brisbane for two weeks to visit my brother who was living in Brisbane at the time and then I moved down to Adelaide I can't I can't remember the exact date so I moved down to Adelaide on Friday and on the Saturday the Australian government announced a nationwide lockdown for COVID. And then on the Sunday, they were like, we advise all working holiday visas to go home as we're not going to support you. And we can't guarantee when anywhere will open up again. So we can't guarantee your work. You're going to get no support from us. So go home. And because I'd just moved there, I had no house. I was living in a hostel. I didn't really know anyone. I knew the coach. And he was young person he's like yeah look I can't really offer you anything at the moment so I was like shit yeah I better better just go home and yeah so I came home in March 2020 and came back into this full super lockdown and just yeah from then I started doing a little bit of training I did a lot of running during lockdown so I came back relatively on fit did seven weeks of run training and then I did you know, the Red Bull Wings for Life. So I said I wanted to run a marathon in the Red Bull Wings for Life. That's like a three-hour marathon. And I think I did a 250 marathon and then had to walk home. I did. I only I got like 42.86K, I think, on the Wings for Life. I walked like the last 400 meters. I was a bit broken by that point. But um, no, it was good fun. And I got my I got my love back for training then, like it was... It was good to have such a block there. Um, I focused only on training again because you had nothing else to do. So I was running twice a day. I was doing double sessions. So yeah, that was a good way to get back into it. And then just started back working as soon as lockdown ended and then started trying to fit in a bit of biking and swimming. And pools stayed close for an annoyingly long amount of time. That was, that was probably the biggest issue with luck. You couldn't swim. And so I probably, I swam, I think I got like a four-week block of swimming in at one point in 2020. And then they closed again. And then maybe I got another two weeks in at some point. And then they closed again. And it wasn't until like June 2021, I actually started swimming again. So, yeah, and then just did a couple of the local races, the national champs. And then... In 2022, I went on a camp in January with Darren Dunn, and I got in seriously good shape again in Gilles in Spain. I took out my pro license and was hoping to do a few 70.3s, and I booked in Salou in Spain. It was the first weekend in April, I think, but then I went and got COVID in March, and that just wiped me. I still went over to Salou. But first of all, it was turned into a duathlon and running my week. So I was hoping to get a good swim, coming from a swim background. Swimming is one of my, probably is my strongest 
And so there was a 60, I think there was 70 people in the race or something. There was a 60 person front pack. I was in a pack of 10 at the back. And you could just see them all working together. They're all drafting. And like, to be fair, when the 60 people coming in off a run together, you can't expect them to leave 12 meters because then 2K, the person at the back is 2K behind. But like, for example, people who understand watch and stuff, I, for the first lap of data, it's three laps. But for the first 30K, I averaged 345 watts and I lost five minutes to the front pack. So, so that was a bit of a demoralizing um, race. And then after that, I just stopped training for a month. I was like, I feel shy. COVID, I still hadn't recovered from COVID. I tried to come back too quick because I wanted to race. And I was just feeling mentally and physically, I was just feeling awful. And I was like, nah, packed it in for a month. Went over to see some friends over in Meads. Stayed in Mead for a couple of days, climbed a mountain over there, and that sort of got me back on track. Ran, I actually ran up and down Sleeve Donard, if you know it, it's a class mountain. And that sort of got me back on track and got the hunger back for training. But then the problem with that was summer is the busiest months for work. So then I was back working five days a week all summer. And so I couldn't train as much as I wanted, so I decided to do the hard man full distance to get a taste for what full distance is like. And I love that as well. Alan is unreal. People who don't people who haven't done one of Alan's races down in Kerry, I'd fully recommend doing them because he is unreal. He yeah, he organizes a great race and it just feels like a community. I remember I think I'd finished. I think I'd just finished and there was somebody who had still had five laps of the run. It was 10 laps run. And so someone still had 20K to go. And they were like, no, no, I'm done. I'm stopping, I'm stopping. I I can't do any more. And Alan just grabbed him by the shoulder, shoved him back on. And I don't know if you're allowed swearing on this or not, but he's like, get the fuck back out there and keep going. <laughs> and he finished. And then the next day, because Alan does the prize giving up breakfast the next day, the next day he came up town and was like, Thank you so much. I'm so happy I finished. If I wouldn't have finished if it wasn't for you. And I finished it. And it's such a sense of achievement now. Brilliant. And it's, yeah, it's, it's an unreal, it was an unreal race. And that gave me my taste for a full distance. And then this whole year was sort of tailored to targeting a full Ironman as well. I thought in the pro format, I could do really well with having to swim, get out in the front pack and swim. Even when you're not, even when you're sitting 12 meters behind, there's a massive benefit to being in front pack. And that's, so yeah, so I had a good bike sitting in front pack for the most part. And then just finished off with a run, like a nice 42K run. Just a super 42K run, yeah. This whole season was just saving up as much money as I put in the early part of the year and over the summer and getting to Australia. I my what I was saying was get to Australia fit enough that I can put in a big block to get race fit. So I was fit enough that putting in a really big block wouldn't break me or to make me fitter. But I was nowhere near race fitness coming over. And that's sort of my whole story, I suppose. Yeah. It's it's mad. And you also won the Wild Mayo Ultra in twenty twenty one when you were home. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did a bike race, yeah. Bike race. Yeah, that was good fun as well. That, again, that was just sort of spurs the moment. I wasn't able to swim, so I was like, I need to do something. And I need, I wanted a challenge. I wanted something that would, I would, not just a race, but something that would challenge me to finish as opposed to just going in and having a race with someone. And it was more of a race against yourself as opposed to racing other people. And yeah, I loved that. It was such, I got, I got lucky with the weather. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. It'd be a different story biking around the west of Ireland and the howling winds and lashing rain. But it was a gorgeous day, like 25 degrees, pure sunshine. Still still a tough course, though, because it is the Wild Mayo Ultra and we know that Porrick Murray doesn't put on easy events. He puts on hard events. So fair play to you. Uh, talk to me about uh, the prep then, I guess. Once you moved to Australia, 
you had that seven week block. So you didn't have to focus on working. You were able to become that full time pro athlete for seven weeks. So talk to us about the preparation that went into that performance earlier yeah. in December. I broke it down where I had seven weeks. So I had one week to acclimatize and get over to jet lag. So that was, the, that was just the first week. There's mostly easy sessions. I did one hard swim session in that week and I did one long bike and I was just, it was just a nice, easy week to get settled down. And then I had a four, just, it was literally just a four week block where every week I had two main sessions I wanted to hit in both swim, bike and run. And then other than that, I was, there were more filler sessions. So I ended up pretty much, so every week I wanted to do one long, steady swim. And by that, I mean like around a 4K swim. So 4K is great, no stopping, just swims 4K. And the pools out here are super slow because they're outdoor pools. There's wind, the filtration systems they use cause the water just be slow. You don't float in them like you do in the sea. So I, I was holding about like 125 pace for that, which then in the race, I held 116 pace for the 4K, well, 3.8K. So it's, I, and I felt like a similar effort. So it was all about just getting that steady state as comfortable as possible. And then I do one threshold session, so it's like the 100 repeat, like off different times. I had two weeks of swim with the swim squad then as well, which was really good. So they were more short course guys. And so I was doing much shorter efforts, much harder. But that's brilliant because it got my speed up. So that was hitting like 112, 113 pace per 100. And it's hard to do that by yourself. So that was a really good thing. And then on the bike, so each we used to start off with, it was lit, what was it? It was, I think it just a two by 10K the first week of my hard ride. Then the second week was two by 20K. Third week was four by 20K. And then the fourth week was back down to two by 30K. And they were the only hard sessions I pretty much did. And then every weekend I did a long ride of about four to five hours where I'd hold for about three hours. I'd just hold what I call steady state zone two. And I think zone two for an Ironman is so, so key. So this is, it's easy. Well, it's not easy, but it's as hard as you can go while still being easy is what I call it. As long as you eat and drink enough, you come home feeling, yes, I put in the work but tomorrow I can go do another hard session and that's what I did I always did my long ride on Saturday and then did my hard run on the Sunday and then yeah I said then run was one long run I came over here still recovering from a calf injury so before I came over here my longest run was 14k and then I built it up from my long run from 21 to 24 to 28 to 32 in the space of four weeks. And the only reason I could do that was because I was, had time to recover. So there's no way in hell I'd have been able to do that back home in Ireland if I was still doing, if I was still having to work. But just having, after every single long run, that was it for the day. I'd put on compression socks. I'd put my feet up. I'd each well, I do absolutely everything I could, and I'd be okay the next day. And then the long, my head runs started off as 8K threshold at like 355 pace with the first one. But then I did like, then it was 12K at 350 pace, then 15K at 350 pace, 18K at 350 pace. And then my last head run, which is probably one of the, Runs I'm most proud of, probably the best training run I've ever done. It's based off Joe, one a session Joe Skipper did. I'm sure most people know who Joe Skipper is. It's 20 by 1K as 1K on 1K floats. The on is around threshold and the float is as fast as you can go while still recovering. And I did 325 for my on and four minutes for my float. 
and that's by far the best I've ever gone running. And I did, well, no, I did do them in the Super Shoes. I did do them in the Essex Metal Speed Sky. And the difference they make is it's four to five seconds per kilometer, easy long. Recover quicker as well. So you don't feel as wrecked the next day. You don't have all that lower limb pain that you'd get if you're running in a pair of just normal running shoes. And then I felt all them other sessions. So I then do another three bikes a week, another two to three swims a week, and another one to two runs a week, just sort of easy aerobic. And then I tried to fit in a one to two strength sessions a week as well, but they did sort of fall by the wayside the last couple of weeks. And what do you think was the biggest piece of innovation or technology that had the biggest impact on your performance? Is it the runners? Yeah, without a doubt, the runners, yeah. Yeah, I suppose the bike in general, well, like everyone's on the same, like I'm on Giant Trinity, and compared to the setup a lot of people have, I'm near the lower end of technology-wise. I'm still on rim brakes. I'm still on mechanical gears. Um, I'm still on the standard TT bars. Pretty much everyone seems to have custom-made TT bars now that they're for around slotting. I'm still on the elbow pad ones. So, yeah, the runners are, without doubt, the biggest difference, yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about race day. I was absolutely bricking at race day morning. I was, I'd never focused so much on a race and I really, really wanted to do well in this race. And I had the confidence in myself that I could, but at the same time, it was a bit of a daunting prospects, especially seeing some of the guys there. So like Daniel Beckigard's just strutting around the place, super confident, like Matt Burton, Steve McKenna. These guys are like some of the best in the world. And then Sam Appleton as well. Like, unfortunately, Sam Appleton crashed and didn't finish. But I knew so much of so much of this would come down to my swim start. And so it almost took me back to the ITU days where you need to have a good swim, you need to have a good first 50 to 100 metres to make the swim pack. And I hadn't been in a race like that in years and years and years. So, yeah, I was... Very nervous race morning, but as soon as it started, that all went out my mind and just got into race flow. And yeah, so some started, I got a terrible start, like it was a shocking start. I started right in the middle of the pack. I would run into the water and I let everyone just run in around me. So I pretty much last into the water, started swimming and... I started swimming on some guy's feet and I thought, nice one, this is very easy, swimming on this guy's feet. And then I looked up and I realized that there was, there's no one ahead of us. So I was looking up, there's no one ahead of us. And then we got a big lock up and I realized that there was actually two packs quite far ahead of us. So we were in the middle and there's one pack to the right, one pack to the left. And they were quite a bit ahead and they were coming together. And I was like, oh, shite, I have to, if I want to be in the front pack, I have to go now. So I went around and put in a bit of a surge and just about managed to get onto the back of the front pack on around first bite. And then was sat on the back of the front pack, nice and happy, felt fairly comfortable. And then, unfortunately, two guys in front of me, they lost the feet of guys in front of them. So I had to put in another surge and get around to two of them. And then once I got that, it was... Once I got around that, there's probably about four or five hundred meters in. Once I got in there, it was very comfortable. I was super happy with how I wasn't expecting to be that comfortable. I was super, super happy with how I felt in the water. We did have a Aussie exit, so we did have to get out the water, do a little run, and get back in after the, like, I think it was 2K because the second half was shorter. And I'm super happy we had that because. I realized on that that my legs had gone dead. So getting out the water, I my legs were completely dead and I was I probably lost about ten meters in the space of forty meter run. Even if even that I lost at least ten meters. And so I had to put another surge of swim to get back on. But again, I was comfortable doing that. I was happy putting in the surge. And 
the reason I was so happy we had the exit was then second time round when we're coming out for a transition, just about 200 metres out, I just had a kick in my legs, loads. So I really increased my kick rate and managed to wake my legs up. And then when we got out for transition, I had no issues. So I got out basically out of water in the pack. Got to T1, had a slow enough T1 because I had to zip up my tri-suit. My tri-suit had come undone during the swim, so I had to just stop. Like, it was only like five seconds stop. I stopped for five seconds, and the guys are so quick these days. That was already a five-second gap that they already had. But got through T1, got on the bike. Daniel, for some reason, had a really slow T1, and he was just stopped. I think he was messing, you know, how everyone has bottles under their tri-suits these days. I think he was messing with a bottle, putting a bottle up his tri-suits or something. And so he was stopped at the mountain line. So I went around him and then I think he just sat on me and we got back onto the front group. And then there was a group of eight of us for a while. For about 60k, there was just eight of us. I know I have to admit I was just sitting in and a couple of guys weren't happy. Steve McKenna in particular was not happy. He had some choice words for everyone. But in my mind, I was like, it's a race. You're a much more high-profile athlete than me. You've got the results to back up. Even if I do no work, you're still going to run faster than me anyway. So what's the point of me working and then having you run 15 minutes faster than me? So he wasn't happy, but eventually Daniel Bettergaard came around and did a super hard effort. And this is the one point of the race that I wasn't happy with myself. I wish I just had a bit more confidence to go with him because, say, Daniel Beckergaard went, then Steve McKenna went with him, and then Sam Appleton closed that gap. And I let a gap open because I was hoping the guys in front of me would close it, but they didn't. So then I had to put in a super, super hard effort for about five minutes to close a gap that was bigger than it should have been. If I just had the self-confidence in myself at when he first went to be like, no, I'm actually feeling comfortable now. If I go with this, I can stick with it. So I'd have been able to go with him and oh, I've been in a much better position, but instead I did a five-minute, probably like five-minute effort around 400 watts just to close that gap. And I think that cupped me a bit. And then I also missed grabbing a bottle at an aid station and then I had no wash for like the next 30k. So it was a combination of putting in the surge and having no water just cocked me a little. And so I got around to the 90k. And again, at the next aid station, they didn't want to give me a bottle because it was at the turnaround and they didn't realize I was on my second lap. They were only meant to give bottles to people on their second lap. And there's still people coming out of the water starting their first lap. And I like, water, water, water. And the aid station people were like, second lap, on my second lap. Oh, and I was like, I am on my second lap. I got a bit angry there. Now I have to be. It was a bit more, bit more venom in it than just, I am on my second lap. But the first person didn't give me any water, but then the second person did. But I had to properly slow down. And again, another gap opened. So then I put in another surge for about four or five minutes to close that gap. And then about 15k later, when I think it was Daniel Bettergaard again put in the surge, the others responded and I just couldn't go with him. So then I did the last like 75k on my own. But once I got to an aid station and properly, I went through the next aid station a bit slowly, got water and electrolytes. And once I got all that into me, I properly regrouped and held, still held fairly decent power for the last 75k. Like, I still lost, I think. I still think I still lost about eight minutes to them. But compared to what I could have lost, it was a very solid last 75k. And I still biked, like, 411. That was all right in the end. We went to, we went through 90k in, like, two hours flat. Two hours, 35 seconds. Went through 90k. And 211, which was my second lap, is a 90k PB for me. And it gives me lots of confidence for... Even a half Ironman now, like just the two hours flat in the group was comfortable. Like if I hadn't had, if I hadn't had to put in them over surges, if I had water for the full thing, if I hadn't gone like forty minutes with no water, I'm confident I could have stayed in the group for the entire way around. 
So it's a big confidence boost for when I go again. So just to clarify, Eklund, you were riding legally yeah. on the course. It wasn't that you were stuck in a Sunday group ride. No, not at all. It's very strict 12 metre gap, leaving a leaves that I've been super careful to leave the full 12 metres. I was taught a few of the other guys were maybe pushing it, but I've been super careful to leave the full 12 metres. So then coming off the bike, you had done a PB twice on the bike yeah. course and you had missed a nutrition bottle, were scrambling for another water bottle. Reckon you probably could have done better if you'd had more nutrition. So then how did the run go? Because I'm sure you were probably a little bit nervous about the run as you were inverted commas weakest part of your race. Yeah. So, yeah, to be fair now, I had done a lot. My run had come on probably best run shape I'd ever been in. And starting off, I felt amazing. I almost, I probably felt too good because my first 2K, I think, were like 346. First 2K, 346 pace each one. And then I was like, no, pop on, nice, relax. It's a long way. <laughs> I was like, if you still feel this good after 30K, then you can. So I just settled down to four minute K pace. And that's the, that was my target race pace. So I held the four minute K pace for the first like 20, 20 to 20, yeah, 21 K sort of, even to maybe like 24. But then the way the run course was set up, there was like a 5K section of super headwind and 5K of tailwind. And it was a strong wind. So then and it was four laps of like 10 and a half K. So on the third lap, going into the headwind, which would have been, say, 25 to 30k, roughly, maybe like 26 to 31, I can't quite remember. I was dying. That was like my lowest point of the race. I was, everything was hurting. I wasn't necessarily running out of energy. It was more, my feet were hurting, my quads were hurting. It was just pain as opposed to energy. So I was thinking to myself, I don't know what to do because... If it was just energy, I'd just stop in the aid station, pack in a few gels. But I'd been super sure all throughout the run to keep taking gels, keep drinking. I was fully hydrated. So I was like, what do I do? And then I walked two aid stations. And I think it had, and I had two, in space of 5K, two clamped splits of like four, 445 to 450 because I walked the aid stations. And then Got to the turnaround and we got through the headwind. So I started back and I only had then, say, 11 or 12k left when I got to the turnaround for the finished this third last headwind section. So then I knew I had one, one more section of headwind left. And then when I passed the first 2k marker on the road, I looked at my watch and I saw I had 43 minutes exactly to get in under the eight hours. And I was like, Christ. Four, four three is four eighteen pace. I'm like, I can do this any single day of the week in training. Like four four three minute ten k, it's not quick, but right now it felt like I was sprinting. <laughs> and but I like just give it everything. Like yeah, I would sit like I'd be so upset if it came in at like eight hours and thirty seconds. I would like it would probably like destroy me almost like. <laughs> so I just like give it everything, get in under the eight hours, like because I was new, I knew I was in sixth place i was in sixth place for the entire run i closed on fifth maybe a minute i think he closed on fifth on fifth by three minutes in the end but he was in off the bike six minutes ahead of me so i was nowhere near catching him seventh place well seventh place was going backwards but then eighth place did close me by like two minutes but he was eight minutes behind me so there was a good couple of minutes either side that I knew I was in sixth place. So I was no I had no need to run scared from my position. But then it was all about getting in on the eight hours, which is like it's a benchmark in Ironman Triathlon, like just getting under this and David Ocean. I felt like I was drinking that last last five K into the headwind section. It was like every single step my quads were just like pins going into them. But as I just get, get it done, and I managed to get it done in the end. You did, and you got well in under the, the eight hours, to be fair, considering you only had given yourself a small window to get in for the eight hours. So the final time on the day? 
I was 759.04. Yeah, so just under in the grand scheme, I think. But it's such fine margins. Such fine That's margins. It, yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, there's so much more time to be made up. Like, it's, I'm happy with that, but I like, there's so much more places I feel, oh, I can get a minute here, could get a couple of minutes here. So it's just, it's made me more, made me want to do more as opposed to just being happy with it. It's like, even like the day after the race, I was like, I had last class, but I want, I want to do better. I want to improve on this and I want better results now. So you want better results, but you're back now working because you need to earn some money, but you're also looking for sponsorship. What happens now for 2024 on the back of that great performance in Bustleton? Where are you going to go now for 2024 and what's the target? Yeah, so my main target is I, I want to qualify for Kona, basically. Um, for 2024? Put, yeah, Kona 2024. I'll put that out there. I felt a bit awkward saying... I want to break eight hours in Bustleton. And I told, I did tell quite a few people that. And I got quite a few looks going, are you sure? Even, even my mum was like, are you sure? Like, that's that's very fast, isn't it? And so I told, like, I told quite a few people and I proved I was able to do it. So I feel if I pick the right race, like, that's the, that's the one thing they have to admit. Like, if you pick the right race and get the right people in the race, in the right conditions... Like, I'm not, obviously, I'm not someone that can just rock up to any race and qualify. But if I pick the right race, right people in the race and right conditions, then I feel like I have a chance. And I'm looking at doing Ironman Australia, I think, Port Macquarie in May. And that, the reason I'm doing that is I'm hoping quite a few of the Australian-based, a couple of the Australian-based guys are already qualified. So Matt Burton, Mick Thompson, they qualified in Bustleton. I know Steve McKenna is currently saying he's planning on racing in Ironman New Zealand in March. So I'm hoping he'll already be qualified. I'm hoping the likes of Braden Curry might do New Zealand as well. So it's like if all the top guys from around Australia can already be qualified, then that's where you get the chance. And then Ironman Cairns is on six weeks later. And that's part of the Ironman Pro Series. So all the big international guys who want to come race in Australia are going to be going doing racing Ironman Cairns because it's part of the Pro Series and it's much more prestigious race and it gets them points. So it's being tactical and picking the right race, but it's also being ambitious and saying, this is what I want and I feel like I'm capable of doing it. So Kona 2024 on the cards, but then you're so close to Topa for the Ironman 70.3 World Championship. Will you go back down to the middle distance racing or do you think you're going to stick with the full distance for a little while? Yeah, so absolutely. So I am, I'm also planning on doing a 70.3 distance and I'm looking at doing 70.3 G-Long, which is near Melbourne, in March. And again, I'd love to qualify for Taupo. I think Taupo is a lovely place. I've been there. New Zealand's an amazing country, and I'd love to qualify for the 7.3 Worlds. I think my run still isn't quite fast enough to be competitive at the 7.3. The times they're running are just ridiculously quick. Um, you have to be able to run like a 1. If you run a 1.11, if you run a 1.12, you're slow, basically. And I think I'd maybe be running like a 115. But if again in the right conditions, if you get the right people there, if you get a quick swim pack and get a good strong, get like two people out on the bike, and hopefully maybe one of them's already qualified, because again, quite a lot of people are already qualified for that. So it's all I don't think I'll be able to place in the automatic qualifying positions. But it's just getting the right people there. We've already qualified. You might be able to sneak your way in by count back sorted. So it's not just about being strategic on the race itself on race day. It's actually being strategic in picking the type of race. Do you think, will you come back to Ireland next year at all? Will you you race in Europe at all even? I can't say for now. Like I'm not making any firm plans. I have to see how this block of racing goes. 
And yeah, then I'll see. I don't like. I don't believe in making long term plans because you never know what's going to happen. You barely know what's going to happen next week, as opposed to what's going to happen six months down the line. Well, that's so, true. And we saw what happened when you were in Adelaide, and you got sent home just before the the pandemic actually went into full tilt. Couple of quick questions: Have you a coach, or do you set all the training sessions yourself? I coach myself at the moment. So I had a coach up until last year, James Walton. He's a great coach. But then I found balancing work and training. I could, it was easy for me to do it because some days I'd be working, some days I wouldn't. And it's hard for a coach. You can't be on the phone to a coach every single day going, I actually have finished work five hours early today. What do I do? So I found much easier just do my own things. And what is the training session that you least look forward to? least look forward to mm. i i don't know probably whenever whatever i'm doing when i'm wrecked tight <laughs> like solo a solo hard swim that's it easy actually a solo hard swim it's super mentally taxing to get into a pool and do like 20 100s by yourself so yeah super, a hard solo swim is like hands down my least favorite session yeah. <laughs> swimming was your was your best discipline when you came into the sport <laughs> that was mean that you're absolutely killing yourself when you're doing 20 by 100 solo in the pool do you listen to yeah. music or anything when you're in the pool not i never listen to music at all while training long rides nothing i like i like being alone by thoughts <laughs> well that's where the mental toughness comes from as well because you're yeah. not playing on the beat of the music when you're swimming or the beat of the music when you're out running and you're not allowed to have those uh, pieces yeah. of equipment uh, when you are racing. Um, I, I find it almost meditative. I, I find I get in like meditative state when I'm out on the bike, especially if I'm doing like a long, steady ride. If I, do, I can do a five-hour ride and feel like no time's passed. I just go into sort of like, yeah, like meditative state and it's just, I sort of slowly switch off. I don't really think about anything. I just focus on my breathing, focus on my legs, and try to get into a flow state because you can practice getting into a flow state and that's the state you want to be in on race day then is like you're not having to think about what's going on, you just do. When you're at home, do you meditate? Not at all. I find that's too much then. But I think I do enough of it out training. I do enough training that I get that, get myself in there. Okay, so I'm going to give you three audience questions. The first one of those is from Damien Oliver, and he asks, throughout your training for the latest Ironman, what did your recovery and stretching slash mobility routine look like? Recovery was basically just eat as much as possible. I was training about like 25 hours a week or so, and I feel when you're training that amount, you just need to get as much food as you possibly can in. Like, eat well. I, I am also vegetarian, so... You don't get massive amounts of calories from meat. Meat's quite calorie dense. So I eat a lot of vegetables, fruit, uh, beans, peas, that sort of stuff. Cereal, cereal's great. So before training, like just if it, even before I run like cocoa pops or something, just high in sugar, high in carbs. So eating is the number one and then sleeping. I was sleeping probably like nine hours a night, getting a nap in, in the daytime. That's What's amazing about training full time is you get a nap in the daytime. So that all adds up. And then um, very little stretching and mobility. And um, I, I, I don't think it's hugely important. So as so long as you're not tightening up anywhere, as soon as I felt I was stiffening anywhere, I'd stretch. So, so I got at one point, I did get my glutes tightened up quite a lot. And so I had to spend about a week stretching that three times a day just making sure that loosened out properly and this is what quite a lot of the research is saying now stretching actually doesn't have much benefit if you're staying loose enough for your sport its strength is the biggest thing so doing like and strength a lot of strength exercises stretch your muscle at the same time so say you do rdl think say you're doing a single leg rdl which I'd, that, because I was doing all bodyweight stuff because I wasn't in the gym. So a single leg RDL is both stretching your hamstring while strengthening it, just putting it on the load at the same time. So that's the much more important than just sitting on the floor, leaning forward, trying to touch your toes and stretch your hamstring. And 
that's what quite a lot of the research is saying. So I studied sports and exercise science in college, and I tried to keep up with some of the research trends that are out there. And I have quite a few friends who are physios as well, and who have recently graduated, and they're saying that that's the latest research is now. There's no need, unless, like, you need to be as flexible as your sport demands. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. something like triathlon, you're all single plane. So swimming, you obviously need flexible shoulders, but I have that from my years of swimming anyway. You don't need flexible hips, you don't need any of that. So same with cycling, you don't need flexible hips. Same with running, you don't need flexible hips. So I've spent years working on increasing my hip flexibility, and it did nothing for me. It made no benefit whatsoever. And then I'm like, no need, just... As long as I'm not tightening up anywhere and I can do whatever I need to do comfortably, that's good enough. And I guess that's the key as well, that whilst the hip flexibility mightn't be something that you need to work on for somebody else, it might be hugely important for them. So it's all very much individualised. And if you're doing a slightly different sport, so say, even if you run, like say, even cross country, you probably need more hip flexibility because you're twisting and turning. Whereas... Ironman running tend to be unfairly like straightforward courses. So you don't need that extra mobility that you would if you're doing any any slightly different sport. Niall Cornyn asks, did did you remember to eat on the bike after your spectacular blow up in Tyrone? I did, yeah. Yeah, that was a pitch. I've never felt so miserable on a bike last year in Tyrone. I think I went from I think, what was it, after 80k, I think I was averaging like 41.5k an hour. And then my last 10k, I barely averaged 30k an hour in Tyrone last year. And Niall came flying past me as if it wasn't moving. Well, it wasn't moving, really. <laughs> but yeah, I managed to get the calories in me this time. Gels, yeah, just loads and loads of gels. And then Niall Foley says, I used to train and live with Eklund in college and we'd be the best of pals. Ask him who was the best training partner he trained with over his years in Limerick and who was the most entertaining. <laughs> okay, this will be this will be good. Let's how many bridges can I burn now here? <laughs> <laughs> let's instantly how many people I can insult. Best training partner. I suppose I like training with Darren Dunn. Why well, you have to say I like training with Darren Dunn. Um I don't know if that's because Darren can often be quite lazy in training. <laughs> and so it's not super difficult all the time. <laughs> that's throwing a few digs. But uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say how to say, but like how training group was the best. So I wasn't Darren one training partners. Like, I remember do me, Darren Dunn, Niall Foley, and Jack Malloy lived together for a summer. And we used to just, on, on our easy days, we'd cycle to Kellenden, which is like a 45k loop. We'd stop get some ice cream and get, get coffee. And then we sort of like race each other back, just constantly attacking each other on the way back. And that was just so much fun. That's probably like the most fun I've had in training. It wasn't necessarily the most specific and it wasn't, I don't know how beneficial it was, but it was just super, super, super enjoyable training. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, that group was probably the most fun. And then you'd have... Karen Jackson and Condotti as other training partners who were probably, I think because they were at a slightly higher level than me, we were sort of a bit more competitive with each other, I suppose. But we still had we still had really good fun training. I think Con was always like slightly out of my league, other than swimming. And I suppose swimming, running, he was out of my league, yeah, but we still uh, still had good fun training with him, but it always felt best like... Yeah, he's best than Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> and so as we come to the end of our chat, is Bustleton the highlight of your sporting career to date? Yeah, I'd say definitely, yeah. Without a doubt. The first time I feel I've truly shown my full potential in a race that matters. Like I feel I've had other races that I performed super well in, but they haven't had necessarily the strongest field and I've won them comfortably. But this is the first time I've performed as best as I possibly could against a super strong field in an international race that probably matters. Like, and so then my final question: What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal, 
see basically see how good it can get. That's I was just I want to the ultimate goal is to feel I've gotten as good as I possibly can get. So it's more it's more a personal thing than what I want to achieve because I believe if I get if I do that if I get as good as I possibly can get then I'll be competitive. So the to the competitive side sort of is what's the word? It's sort of like seen to automatically by you by me getting achieving like my peak fitness almost like that's yeah it's like asking you how long is a piece of string because i'm sure the goalposts will shift as you yeah. get stronger and fitter and faster there's like competitive goals and then there's like personal goals so like obviously competitive goals are racing cone like that's number one but then like is it why stop at just racing cone or why not like be competitive in Kona. And then you don't know it's like Kona is only guaranteed to happen next year in 2026. So you don't know where they're going to be in like 2027 or 2028. And who knows, maybe they'll bring from a nice cold country for once and they'll let all the Europeans and Americans freeze themselves and have them up in Norway or somewhere I think would be a good idea. Like 11. <laughs> Eklund, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We've been on a serious adventure there from your background to your uh, racing in Bustleton. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and the very best of luck with everything. Thanks a million, Joanne. Thanks for having me on. I've had a great time. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast, be sure to check them out on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. And if you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please do email me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I really would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Oh,